Today's episode is a little bit of a roller coaster. Eventually, I end up at a gun range where people are shooting guns. So here's a content warning. There are some startling gunshot sounds today. I'll let you know again in the episode when it's about to come up so you can skip over it if you need to or turn the volume down or just listen when you're ready. I know how to drift a car. I, I don't remember how I learned, but the reason I know that I know how to drift is because I had to once. It was a relief when I was old enough to drive and pick up my brothers from school. My parents worked weird hours and we didn't live in the best neighborhood, so they didn't want us walking places. So one day I was carting my little brothers and a cousin around in my car. Here in Texas, we have these highway ramps that are soaring overpasses. Some are higher than mountains and they curve a little too sharply. And I love them. I love taking them too fast. My favorite part of driving is speeding. You get up that high above everything and it's just sky, 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 360 degrees of sky. It is so awesome. This particular ramp I sped on on this particular day, it is literally the tallest highway interchange in the world at Interstate 75 and the 635 loop. I have to take it nearly every time I leave home and it feels like calligraphy. Well, except this one time, this day when I was just 16 with my brothers and my cousin, who I love very, very much in my car, I lost control. Was I speeding? Probably. Was there something slick on the road? Maybe. I'll never know. My car started to spin out of control on this road in the sky. My brain was like, oh my God. I'm going to get us killed, like a whole generation of us. So I started to maneuver the car and just Tokyo drifted around the entire ramp because I had no choice. There wasn't enough room to straighten out. If I tried to break, we would have tumbled over the edge and plummeted to our deaths. The only way to get out of that without slamming against concrete was to drift my 1992 Toyota Camry around the entire ramp. I was terrified, but my face was sometimes inches away from the concrete guardrail, and that has a way of making you focus. I couldn't breathe either because my lungs were smushed by the speed and force of the turn. I couldn't fill them with air. My lungs were behind where the rest of me was. Once we got back to the ground level and I could straighten out the car, I said, is everyone okay? My brothers and my cousin started screaming. That was so awesome! Oh my God, Ivy, that was the coolest thing ever! They were going nuts like I was a football player who just won the game because they're irresponsible little shitheads. Part of me was like, oh my God, we could have just died. But also, I started laughing because it was awesome. Here's the thing about growing up how I did. Terrible things do happen when you're poor. I grew up with a lot of gun violence, but also I picked up some valuable driving skills. There were near misses and an unfair amount of funerals. But also, everyone I know is hilarious and the food is good. In fact, if I were from the suburbs or if my family could afford reputable extracurriculars, I don't think I would have known how to drift and I might have died that day. That duality is what I want y'all to stay open to when you're listening today. Something can be both good and bad, fun and dangerous, fast and furious. 
I'm Ivy Lee with one E, and you're listening to Fogo, Fear of Going Outside, a nature show by the most reluctant host ever. I go outside so you don't have to. This season, I'm doing everything it takes to figure out how to go hunting. I am getting pretty frustrated. I knew budget would be a bit of a problem, but I haven't found anyone willing and available to mentor me. I've started multiple online hunter education courses, but I don't know how any of them end. I butchered a whole hog with a chef who gifted me a textbook on how to hunt hogs. I learned how to track animals from a Girl Scout, but I can't find a freaking place to go hunt. On today's episode, we're gonna do what we do every night, Pinky. Try to find land to hunt on, and hopefully someone to take me to. It's been six months since we started this hunting journey, and thanks to Mariah and my shamelessly begging everyone we've ever known to introduce us to landowners and hunters, we are closer than ever to a real hunt. I can almost taste the meat in my mouth. Through an introduction by Allie, the reporter from episode one, we have found a rancher. This guy hates wild pigs and offers to give us a tour of his land so we can see for ourselves the damage they actually cause. Oh, that'd be awesome. I heard you got a, you got a little crew, Squeal Team 6. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we, we call it when we're going out on maneuvers at night with the thermal scopes. This is Kevin Glasheen. He's wearing a Carhartt button-up and jeans with a really nice watch. He probably cleaned up at the sorority house back in the day. He would admit to having done well for himself, but Texas Tech Law School, his alma mater, who he has already donated a million dollars to, will probably call him the guy whose name is on the building over there. This ranch we're on is two square miles of property about two hours west of Austin. Kevin and his dog have just flown here, like with Kevin's pilot's license on his personal plane to meet us. And when we drive up to the first house on the property, I see a row of ATVs and a chicken coop with solar panels. I bought this ranch about eight years ago. It'd been in the same family since 1870s, mm-hmm. and they hadn't cleared any of the cedar. So when you have a lot, and there's a lot of creeks on this ranch, and mm-hmm. so pigs love creeks. Kevin is the first person I've met who really legitimately hates pigs. Like Jesse, that chef who wrote the hog book, he kind of loves pigs. Kevin hates them. He has his reasons, like a lot of them. He hates what they do to the native wildlife. One of the problems with them is that we have a lot of turkeys here. They'll lay a dozen eggs in a nest on the ground and pigs will find those nests and eat them. They belong here, the pigs don't. He hates what they do to dirt. Not only do they damage the native wildlife, they damage the ground and cause erosion. He hates what they do to water. You don't really want pigs tearing up the soil that washes into your drinking water and then, you know, pooping everywhere. He just really hates them. They carry E. coli among other nasty pathogens. So there's just nothing good about the pigs. I've probably shot 300 pigs out here, about a pig a week. Kevin hates pigs so much, I have hope that he'll welcome me to come hunt some down after getting to know each other today. Kevin is a man of action and a man of means. He clears cedar trees so there are fewer places for pigs to hide. He never leaves his house on the ranch without a gun in case he sees a hog. And he sets up traps with night vision cameras. So I've got a pig trap that is running right now, and there's a big boar that's been going in it the last few nights. 
Well, I put cameras up on the feeders and the traps so that we can kind of get used to what their behavior is and we know what time they're going to be there so we can go get set up before they're there. That's how you successfully pig hunt is through camera reconnaissance. He's taken us to one of these feeder traps to show us how they work. The poor man's hog trap is a mechanical DIY setup. A rich man's hog trap is big and solar powered and it has a smartphone app. It's a ring of steel fencing and it's big enough for several podcasters to walk inside under the trap door. So let's say I get a pig, comes in here and my phone tells me, oh, there's a pig in your trap. So I'm gonna tell it to close the gate. Now you gotta be real careful and stand don't get close to that gate because it'll whack you. Um, I probably need to spray this with a little WD-40 because I haven't actuated it in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. But if I take this thing and... Careful. Yeah, no. Kevin, I'm, don't get... No. There's, a, there's literally a warning label. It says crush hazard, heavy drop gate can cause serious injury or death. No doubt about it. And that's oh my how it God. goes right there. <laughs> but to get it... The trap is essentially an open-top cage, and I laugh sometimes thinking about how I went in there with an armed white man I met half an hour ago in the middle of nowhere. That's how desperate my hunting quest has become. From his phone, Kevin can trigger the door to snap closed, and it should shut. It doesn't shut automatically like the DIY traps because ranchers want to wait until enough pigs are inside. Once inside, well, they shoot him. Exactly like fish in a barrel. We're gonna just keep rolling. Already? Yeah. So this blind's about a hundred yards from. This blind's about a hundred yards from the feeder, which is about typical. Wait, which feeder? The one we just saw? Yeah. Oh, okay. So and you can feel the very strong wind today coming out of the south. So okay. we typically set them north of the feeders so that they they don't animals don't smell us but we use this to hunt deer as well during deer season you just try not to shoot the trap uh-huh that surrounds the feeder and the trap looks expensive yeah it's kind of expensive you don't want to shoot it if you don't have to and then here's the blind you can hop in there ew it's got spider webs on it yeah not surprising okay the blind was not that bad. It really was just that one spider living in there, just because it's not deer hunting season right now, so the people aren't using it that much. In fact, this blind is basically a little indoor oasis in the middle of all this nature. It really is just a plastic box with windows, like a few hunters have already described. It's drab green, about the size of three economy seats on an airplane. There are a couple chairs and cup holders. Now, I couldn't really bow hunt from these blinds. They're too far from the feeders for a bow. If I were to hunt here, I'd need a gun. I suppose I could ask Kevin to borrow one. He does have a whole walk-in closet-sized gun safe full of guns and ammo. I'm still looking for a mentor too, so it's not out of the question yet to find one who would lend me a gun. Kevin built several nice cabins for guests hunting on his property. Next to a shooting range he set up, there's also a giant rainwater catching system that doubles as a pool. My guests get a futon in the home office I share with my beloved. I haven't even seen a pay-for-play hunting outfit that is this nice, but you can't pay to hunt on his land. Like most private property, you can only be invited. 
Kevin's land is expansive and bountiful. We've been out here for at least two hours and we're still not done seeing his land. We see wildlife constantly, like we're on a safari with the most reserved safari guide on earth. Off. The great blue heron. Whoa, whoa. Oh, oh, it, the, the bird. Yes. Okay. About a four foot wingspan bird. Yeah, that's a big old bird. It's a great blue heron. A great blue. Is it one of the endangered ones? Um, I do not believe the great blue heron is endangered. Okay. It may be threatened, but I doubt that too. It's just chilling. <clears throat> This majestic as heron was nesting on the crest of a small lake just flying about without a care in the world like global warming who. We also saw native wild turkeys who are assholes and two different types of deer. Kevin stops to show us some fresh pig rooting marks in the ground. It's muddy because it rained recently and pigs love the mud to help them keep cool. Before long, we were interrupted by tiny but loud chirping frogs. It's also like I said, I'm not going to shoot an animal just to shoot it. I'm only going to shoot an animal that I've got a reason to shoot. And it's usually it's because I'm going to harvest that animal and, and eat it. But What is that? That is called a cricket frog. What? And it's a frog that sounds like a cricket. And there's a lot of cricket frogs in the springs, and they're very shy. You'll hear them like on the Lions Club golf course in Austin on Enfield. It sounds like they're surrounding us. Sounds like we're being hunted by them. Yeah, you're not being hunted by cricket frogs. <laughs> In fact, they're shy and they just got used to us is why they just started talking. They were talking before we got here. Plus it's evening and sun setting, that's when they, that's when they talk. Oh, okay. But um, they're, they're funny because if you walk up on them, they'll be I see clear. one, they're so tiny. I see, oh, now, and then it stopped because I pointed at it. <laughs> that was yeah. rude of me, I'm sorry. They're very self-conscious. <laughs> The cliff chirping frog of Texas Hill Country is just the size of a coin, but with the vocal projection of plus-size opera legends like Luciano Pavarotti. What's odd about this frog, well, first of all, they don't say ribbit, I thought all frogs said ribbit, but that they don't need water to lay tadpoles. They just need moisture to lay eggs, and they come out of their eggs fully formed as tiny itty-bitty little froglets, legs and all. And this area we're on right now, it's really muddy, so there's been a lot of frogs hanging out, and these frogs have been fucking. We go back to the house, and he shows us where he keeps his ranch vehicles and the freezers, plural, where he stores all the meat from his hunts. It's real good. Show us this place, just your tractor garage? Uh, yeah, it's just a, a barn. Um, so got a tractor, got our lawnmower in here. Is barn... Is got, barn just got my fireworks? Okay, fireworks. We keep lots of fireworks. Yeah, you don't want to pay full price in July. Yeah, and then these are this is a solar hot water heater system that I'm having not installed yet on the house because we're kind of off the grid capable here. There's a full solar system with battery backup runs all place, and all our water wells are solar powered with gravity feed to the house. Mm -hmm. So, and the main thing I wanted the solar system was to run the freezers because you. You, know. you don't want that to well. Well, yeah. you, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to live without freezing, you know, having freezer food. But there is no pork in these freezers at all. You don't like these pit, like, you don't like wild pigs or you just don't like pork generally? Well, I don't eat pork generally, um, but um, if I was going to eat pork, it wouldn't be a wild pig. 
Kevin talks about pigs with the disdain I have talking about the outside. Except colonizers specifically brought pigs for how tasty they are. I don't argue with him though. First of all, it's not my job to proselytize about pork. That's a chef's domain. It's my job to try to find some land to hunt on. So Fogo listeners don't have to. Also, he let us have some meat, as nearly every hunter we've met has done. I love that about hunter culture. And I think we know by now that you can buy my silence with food. So we start to say our goodbyes. He's been a great host, taking strangers around all day, but he's not in the tour giving business. Every hunter in Texas knows that every other hunter needs a place to hunt. But Southerners don't go inviting ourselves places. Today was exploratory for both of us. I needed to know if Kevin might be a good person to hunt with or if his ranch could be a good place to hunt. And he needs to know if I'm someone he can trust with firearms on his private property. At the end of our visit, he answers the unspoken question hanging in the air. So when are y'all wanting to come hunt? Uh, we We were hoping we could do it sometime in May. Okay. Well, let me know, and uh, we'll try to to make it work for you. Did you hear that? Did you hear that Southern invite? We finally found a rich landed white man. When we come back, we scramble to take advantage of Kevin's generosity. I got to learn how to shoot a gun. What would it take for you to feel like you were ready to, like, mentor somebody to become a hunter? I don't know, do we ever feel really ready for that? We went to meet Kevin on a Wednesday. He's invited us to come back to hunt at some point, and he tells me, according to his feeder cameras, the hogs are coming out at night. Well, the FAA, or the Federal Aviation Administration, does not allow hot air balloons to fly at night. So, I have to accept that I will not be the first documented hot air balloon hog hunter this time around. But at least I've got land to hunt on, finally. I don't think Kevin wants me running around his ranch without supervision though, so I have to find a mentor fast. None of our other rural or landowner leads have worked out, so the next day, Mariah and I put out the bat signal to every city person we know. That's how we found Kevin. And remember Brandon, the indigenous hunter in episode two? He pointed out that all the outdoorsy people he knows, including himself, have city lives too. Word got around that we were looking for hunters and we found another by mom, just like me, except she comes with guns. I guess since it was the alphabet mafia who followed through, it wasn't a bad signal, technically it was a Robin signal. This hunter suggested I meet her at her go-to shooting range on Sunday for Mother's Day. My name is Barbara. I am 36 years old. I live in Austin, Texas. Um, And my favorite type of hunting to do is deer and wild hogs. I grew up in Minnesota around a lot of hunters. And my dad was always very encouraging of women doing everything that men do. And so from a young age, he taught me firearms and taught me how to hunt. And I kind of took a break. And then once I got later into my 20s, I had a girlfriend who had a ranch in Laredo. And we got very... She invited me to come hunting and the rest was kind of history. I got really hooked on it. Um, I also work as a chef. So there's a component of going out into the woods and killing something that I'm gonna prepare for people that I love. Barbara, like me, decided to spend Mother's Day shooting guns without our children. 
She's wearing a trucker hat, hipster glasses, red lipstick, and brown denim overalls with a nylon rifle case slung over her shoulder. It's hard for me to gauge height for people over 5'10", because it all looks the same to me past that, but she's probably six feet tall. I'll post pictures on Instagram at Fogo Podcast, but trust me, she's a vision in the searing central Texas sunlight. She sits patiently while I watch the required safety video. Keep chamber clear and open and less firing. During ceasefires, all actions are locked open. Cheers only on the range, no spectators. There will be a ceasefire called about every 20 minutes by a range officer over the PA system. You get one free target with each admission. He's going to give you a really cool card. Mm-hmm. Does that mean we're members now? You're going to be members. You can come back. Eagle Peak Shooting Range is an outdoor gun range just northwest of Austin, Texas. Its website looks to be from the early 2000s, and so does the portable building where I'm paying the membership fee. You can also buy ammo and libertarian bumper stickers here. The membership looks to be pretty diverse today, which is true of most places with a lot of Texans. I know people outside of Texans don't believe that about us. There appears to be a broad range in age, race, gender, and attractiveness coming and going. So we have two guns that we're going to be shooting today. Okay. We have the 22. Okay. We're going to see how y'all do. And then once you're comfortable, we'll fire up a few rounds of this per person. And then this is, this is the beast. This is a seven millimeter. This is an elk gun. You are about to hear a lot of guns firing at random times. We heard the automatic weapons from inside, but from outside, I could feel the sound. It was physically irritating. We level out the sound for the sake of your ears here, but in person, it was deafening, even with protective hearing equipment on. We are assigned the shooting lane, basically next to a group of tourists shooting AR-15s. Tourists from abroad don't want to live in a society where guns are a constant threat, which is how I've grown up. But while they're here in Texas, a lot of tourists make a point of going to the shooting range. Listen, I know more than most about the consequences of guns. My family has had two drive-bys. And I don't even want to tell you all the other stuff because then I'll have to go back and redo the content warning. So I hate the impact of guns. I hate the way we deal with them in my country, especially. But also... Shooting guns is fun. It's weird to me that people don't want to admit that. A lot of things that are problematic are also fun. Speeding, drugs, guns. If they weren't fun, they wouldn't be a problem. So that's what's happening. Tourists are shooting next to us. They are annoying to listen to, but they're having a blast and eventually they leave. And Barbara and I have a blast too. It's this little button right here. So when you are ready to shoot, you let me know when you're ready to shoot. And then you're just going to take it and push it. It'll click. And that means it's it's ready to go. So you want to choke up on here, okay. but don't put your finger on the trigger. Okay. Stays behind it. And can you get a good sight of that deer in aisle ten? What is this shitty bullet? Okay, I think so. Yeah, I see it now. Yep. Uh huh. So then you'll just whenever you're ready to shoot, you just turn that safety off, and okay. that trigger's ready to go. Okay. I would shoot at the closest one. Okay, the closest one, and it's it's the picture on the target that's a little circle with the target inside. That's what I'm aiming for, or should I aim Whatever for part of the deer you want to shoot at. I don't know what part. I've never. You could say I'm going to shoot him in his nose, or I mean that's not the part we would actually shoot a deer, but. Where's the part that you shoot a deer? So what they it's called the boiler room. That's where that target is on that deer, the crosshairs. So kind of like at the bottom, at the top of the leg. Correct. That's yep. where you. That's going to take out a heart and a lung, and that's what we hope for. Okay. It's more humane to kill them that way. 
Barbara sets out her first gun with some ammo on the table. The table is shaded and has bean bags you can stack up to make a gun rest. Each lane has a stool for the shooter to sit on. The outdoor range itself is covered in sand rather than grass, and the paper targets are set at different distances in front of us. So when you load it, you'll look through, you'll get ready to shoot, and then you'll click it forward when you're ready to put your finger on the trigger. Okay. Uh-huh. So because we're women, the best place, it's not just a rest, it's a press all the way into your shoulder. Okay. My shoulder or like my, my, my top boob? The yes. second boob? Into you your mean? second boob. The extra boob? Yep. Okay. So all the way in, that's really the best way. Okay. Because there's actually not a whole lot of padding in my shoulder. It's all in my second boob. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Okay. It kind of runs like that length right here. Okay. And you can shoot as many rounds of that as you want. You can try that 100-yard target if you want to. Okay. Something I've noticed collecting lots of advice from hunters as I've researched this season, most hunters share the advice that was given to them by their first mentor. It was usually a male family member. They rarely question it, and they repeat it to every hunter afterward. The most egregious example of this is learning how to shoot. Every hunter ever says to put the rifle in your shoulder. Remember Hale from season one, my best white friend? He went to summer camp every summer because he was forced to. He dislocated his shoulder the first time shooting, and men in his family still teach it that way. Barbara's gun, the one that's meant for hunting 500-pound elk in Montana, that would have broken my collarbone if I had tried to put it in my shoulder and shoot. And I feel certain if I had a teacher who didn't listen to me or who had never put on a tube top and dealt with boob spillover, I would have ended up in the urgent care just like Hale. Maybe that's like a, maybe that's a better part about being a woman hunter. Is that, um, I've heard anecdotally that women are better, better hunters and shooters. Is that true? Do you think? I think that the men folk would debate that heavily, but I do think that women are, are, have a finer art to it, if you want to think of it that way. I, I've only, well, because I've barely found any female hunters, it's only men that I've heard that from. Interesting. I don't think all men think that, but the men who think that, like, as soon as they know that I'm doing it, that they're, they tell me, you are like, oh. I just think of women as having a finer touch, more attention to detail sometimes. And I think it's not all about ego. I think the ego it kind of gets checked at the door. Uh, oh, okay. Do I have to unload it for the ceasefire? Do I have to unload? That voice in the distance is the range's safety guy calling for a ceasefire. During a ceasefire, he checks everyone's lanes to make sure we're following the rules. Barbara and I use this time to walk out to the end of the gun range and check our targets. So this is, this is actually not bad. You're a little low, but you have good grouping. So like these are all in the same area. Okay. Yeah. So good grouping means? It means you're placing them all, like if you had one over here and one over here, you'd be like, oh, I'm totally like off. At least like we know that maybe that scope's a little off, which is possibility. Or you're just aiming and kind of moving just a little bit before you pull the trigger. Okay. Yeah. But this is good because this means mm-hmm. that they're all hitting the same spot. Okay. So, so you're... There's like, a, there's like a correctable problem. Correct. Basically. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Barbara tries to tell me I'm doing a good job, but Barbara's assurances are not working. Partly because I don't understand the deer target I'm looking at. I've been researching pigs. I don't understand it like she does. But also... 
partly because I care about doing this well, and I do mean to perfection. I can't help but think about Don, that professional hunting guide, and his terrible, haunting first hunting experience. I am not someone who has to learn things the hard way. I prefer learning from the stupid mistakes of others. And I just saw these parts on that pig I butchered with Jesse. I mean, this target is an illustration of a deer, but it's the same principle, right? I'm barely able to get on board with the most ethical shot. Jesse said it's through the lungs and the heart. I can't get on board yet with a shot that's just good enough to kill an animal if it would cause more pain. I want to be really, really, really good at this. And maybe, partly, it's habit, too. For me, being good enough at things is really not good enough to get what I want. I'm determined, after the ceasefire, to adjust and perfect my aim. All right, Ivy. You ready to blow that big deer away? <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to shoot for the spine and hopefully You're hit the gonna, chest. Yeah, hit, let's, let's aim for that. Let's see what happens. Okay. So you want to pick it up first before you put a bullet in it. Oh, okay. Just because you got to have to like uh, not another have hand to maneuver. Okay. I need, I need to bring tweezers to get the bullets out when I put them in at the wrong order. Okay, I'm putting it up. Pointy and forward. Okay. It feels very loose. It feels yep. like the hole for this bullet is very big. Yep. Okay. And that drives it forward. And there you it. go. Okay. And I can't remember if the safety's on or off, so but you'll figure it out. Okay, now the safety is on. Okay. <laughs> Back is on, right? Because I push it forward when I want it off. So we're gonna press that into our meat. Meat, okay. That press it in. Meat. Okay. The further over here, the better. Further in, okay. Not to feel you up at the gun range. But. You, it's Mother's Day. You do <laughs> whatever you feel like doing. Okay. Okay, now I can't see through the scope. Okay, I found the scope. Okay, we're gonna aim for the spine now. My finger is on the okay. little metal thing that guards the trigger, trigger guard. Okay, I think I've got the aim right. But since it's on my, since it's on my second boob, I feel like every time I breathe, it's moving. It's because it's so far away. Like every little breath is changing where the scope yep. goes. So is the trick just to not breathe? Um, you want to keep breathing. You definitely want to keep breathing. Oh, oh, I got, hold on, stomach breathing. Okay, stomach breathing. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> okay, I'm breathing in my stomach now. It's not doing the thing. Okay, all right, now I think I'm ready to shoot. All right. So then I take my, my kind of index finger and move the thing, the safety forward. Yep. Okay, with my index finger. Okay, now I'm back on the trigger. You did it! Okay, I want to use the scope to try to see. Ooh, that yeah, hurt. Girl. Another ceasefire. Pulling the trigger, as Barbara taught me, is a lot like firing a bow, as Josh taught me. You squeeze so gently and slowly that you don't know when the gun will go off, because if you did, your body would preemptively react and jerk the gun off track as the bullet is leaving the barrel. I think I've made some good adjustments, but... None of those shots felt like a sure shot, if I'm being honest. And now I'm going for the further target, about 150 yards out, because that's more like the setup at Kevin's ranch. Barbara and I walk down the range again to see if I hit the target. So I hit it, basically, it looks like just a couple inches to the left, but definitely in this, like, basically the very top of the spine. 
So you killed dinner for us. I got dinner that time. The range is on. Okay, so that time what I tried to do was um, was overcorrect, was actually to go diagonal. So You're I doing that's a really good. good job. I'm actually very impressed. Oh, thanks. I live to impress sexy moms. I acknowledge it this time, satisfied that I'm a good shot. You can't blame me for not believing it at first, okay? I've only had, what, like 40 minutes total of shooting instruction, but it turns out I'm deadly. Skill-wise, I'm ready for a hunt on Kevin's land. So I start to feel out if I could convince Barbara to be my hunting mentor and lend me a gun too. She isn't just a sexy mom to look at, y'all. I hit her with a barrage of questions and she has a thorough, thoughtful answer for every single one of them. So how do I know when I'm gun shopping if it's gonna be a reliable gun or not? That is a good question. I'm probably amateur hour when it comes to gun-related knowledge. Um, just because, like, for me, there are people who are into tactical shooting, and then there are people who are just really into guns in general, and then I feel like there are people who hunt, and sometimes they overlap. But for me, it's really about the hunt. It's about the animal, it's about the food, it's about being outside and enjoying things. And so for me, like, this tool, I have one, it works well, I don't need five, right? Are there any other myths about hunting and hunting culture. I think I think drinking while hunting is a really unpopular one. I think a lot of people uh, view it as like super dangerous. Like how dare you know you have a firearm and you also have an alcoholic beverage. I'm not talking about drinking and getting wasted. I was thinking um, if it's gonna be a long time, we can like nurse a bottle of wine. So drinking while hunting, as long as you're a reasonable drinker, is totally, totally. fine. Okay. What Texas does not specifically outlaw having alcohol with you while hunting, but it's just not allowed on public lands. Game wardens won't get you unless you actually do something bad. So on private land, Texas's official position is you do you. Since you're hunting in a blind, like, do I really need stuff at all? What kind of stuff? I don't know. Do, what kind of stuff do I need? Oh, okay. So hunting in a blind, you're going to be hot. What I would recommend that you wear is um, definitely if you have like a quick dry hiking shirt because there's probably also going to be bugs. So anything that can cover you all the way but also make you feel cool is, is good. Um, and you're definitely going to need, you know, eye protection, hear protection. I always wear boots. Always, always, always. This went on for a while. I had a lot of questions, and the more I learned about her hunting experience, the more I couldn't believe she categorizes herself as an amateur. So about seven years ago, when your girlfriend brought you back into hunting, mm -hmm. uh, your homegirl with the ranch, she, uh, so did she have to tease you much, or did, you kind, did it all kind of come back to you from when you were a kid? It came back to me. Um, she really taught me the processing of animals. And although her and I are not friends anymore, I am forever grateful that she took the time to explain those things to me. And forever grateful for the experience of like being at that fancy, her, the ranch is very nice and the facilities are amazing. And having the opportunity, you know, when you're learning, I feel like that would have taken a lot more time, but because we're culling deer, we have eight to clean in one night. I get a lot of hands-on, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a really great way to learn. Yeah, instead of like doing it once a year. Right, right, or two a year, and you're like, I still don't really know how to do this. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, I don't feel like I'm gonna get that like, you know, seven in one night until I learn it <laughs> experience. Well, and most of the time it would be illegal. For context, here's what Barbara's saying. When people purchase an annual hunting license to hunt deer, it comes with a lot of regulations, including a cap on how many you're allowed to kill each season. That's what she means by it's usually illegal. 
Barbara's homegirl, who got her back into hunting, had a special permit on her land. In Texas, to get a managed land deer permit, a Texas Parks and Wildlife Department biologist determines that yes, you do have too many deer compared to what your land can support. And instead of a generic limit, they have goals or harvest objectives on how many deer they need to cull to sustain the habitat. So Barbara, who has told me multiple times that she's an amateur, actually has a level of experience that is quite literally exceptional. So why does she keep saying that? It's possible, even plausible, she is also someone who's had to be extra good to get not that far, which I get, but I want to be drinking with her so bad and Kevin's blind with the cup holders. A lot of women have asked her in the past, and she's never agreed to be anyone's mentor. But I just have to see if I can get her to say yes. What would it take for you to feel like you were ready to like mentor somebody to become a hunter? Ooh. I don't know. Do we ever feel really ready for that? I felt very comfortable shooting guns with you today. I was a little nervous prior to this, and I thought like, oh, they could have someone who's much more experienced or whatever. But I was like, you know, I'm going to go and I'm just going to show them the thing that I do. I'm like, this is what works for me. So I think, um, I mean, I think even now I would love the opportunity to do that. I wish there was more ranches that were kind of geared towards that idea. I'm sure you can pay thousands of dollars for a weekend hunting trip, but I feel like that's not really covering like some of the most important parts. So yeah, definitely. I, w- I would be very interested. So if we could, would you, if we, if we could make it happen, uh, would you want to come teach me how to hunt to. on my first hunt? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. That could be really fun. Oh I would love to see you shoot something. I love the turn this has taken. I have a willing and locally based mentor. She has guns and she trusts me with them. I have a landowner who's down. I just don't have a date on the calendar yet. It is not going to be easy to schedule. We're trying to coordinate two moms and a guy who is so busy he needs his own plane. So I'm excited, I'm hopeful, but also I have had a lot of promising leads fall through already. I won't stop pestering other folks until a hunt is done done. But oh, I feel so close. I can almost smell the scat. And wouldn't you know, when it rains, it pours. Just two days later, Josh, the bow hunter from Sportsman's Finest, says, a friend down the road has agreed to let me come hunt hogs. And Josh needs me to come in the store ASAP to get my bow adjusted. Ah! All this time I couldn't get one hunt and now it's looking like I'm gonna take y'all on two? Yeehaw, bitches! Next time on FOGO, I have 24 hours to prepare for a wild hog bow hunt. Let's go. Oh, there's even, they made one covered in camo. (laughs) Oh my God, so unnecessary. I'm totally, I'm gonna, I mean. I don't see why you're so against camo. Fogo, Fear of Going Outside, is a Spotify SoundUp series and was workshopped as part of the Spotify SoundUp Podcast Accelerator program. Fogo is written, produced, and hosted by me, Ivy Lee with one E. We are produced and edited by Mariah Gossett. Engineering, mixing, and additional sound design by Robin Edgar. Our theme song and original music are composed by Michelangelo Rodriguez. Story editing by Minda Wei. Production support by Benjamin Groza's Eastrup. FOGO's board of advisors is Jeff Zhao and Martin Thomas. From Spotify, our executive producers are Miguel Contreras, Grace Delia, Jane Zumwalt, and Natalie Tullock. Spotify production support provided by Shirley Ramos. And special thanks to the rest of the Spotify team. 
Listen to Fogo, Fear of Going Outside, for free on Spotify. You can follow me on just about every social media platform at Ivy Lee with one E, that phrase all spelled out. And go to FogoPodcast.com for the newsletter, transcripts, and those cups. I still got those cups, y'all. My biggest thing for you is to get a big Yeti cup. Okay. With a lid. That sounds expensive.